Today's episode of Art of the Cut is sponsored by Encrawl. Encrawl is the web-based platform for managing and rendering end credits. Used by over 1,000 film productions, including 42 films at this year's Sundance 2020 Film Festival. Sign up today at ncrawl.com slash AOTC. Hello, and welcome to Art of the Cut's Voices from Sundance. My name is Steve Holfish. I'm a film editor, and I interview my colleagues in film and TV. Today's voice from Sundance is Courtney Ware. Her previous credits include editing the films Light from the Light, Never Going Back, and Sunny in the Dark, which she also directed and produced. Courtney is the editor of the film Miss Juneteenth, which is a 2020 Sundance film selection. The film is about a former beauty queen and single mom as she prepares her rebellious teenage daughter for the Miss Juneteenth pageant. The film was written and directed by Channing Godfrey Peoples. Courtney, as a director and producer of your own projects, tell me about serving as the editor on this project and uh, helping deliver on someone else's vision. Yeah, um, I always say that like directing makes me a better editor and editing makes me a better director. Um, I think that... Uh, writing, directing, and editing are the three most um, combined aspects of storytelling within filmmaking. Um, And obviously you're dealing with the three different stages of filmmaking. Um, And so for me, I I think it's... uh, I'm very appreciative to be able to work on other directors' films because it's constantly giving me more information and teaching me about the craft. Um, And then hopefully they have also appreciated the fact that I'm coming at editing from a director's point of view. Um, And so it's, for me, it's all about what is, what is making the story stronger. Um, And so they, they just so closely correspond with each other that um, I'm just, I'm thrilled as long as I'm telling stories. Uh, That leads me to this idea that I've talked to a lot of people about and heard many people even talk about last night, you know, during Q&As and that kind of stuff, about the idea of how much a movie changes from one of those phases to another, writing, directing, production, and post. Um, Why do you think it is that it's so hard to write a script and have it be the story that's told at the end? I mean... You know, people, the one thing that I've heard uh, over and over again is that people don't go uh, pay to read a script. Um, And it is unfortunate because I think script writing is such a beautiful art art form in itself. Um, And I actually, uh, I listened to a podcast with Greta Gerwig and she talks about the fact that she writes her scripts um, with the idea that the film's never going to get made because uh, there's just no guarantee that your your film is ever going to get not only into production but then released in a in a way that people can um, experience it. And so I love that. I love thinking about scripts that way. And that that is the that is the dream. That is the everything is in your imagination. Um, and then you get into production where everything is um, is real and tangible, and you're dealing with what you're seeing and what you know what the actors are bringing and um most of the time you're discovering new aspects of the script that you would have never have thought of and script writing is so lonely and then you get into production and it's the collaboration and you have people throwing new ideas at you again that make the project better that as a scriptwriter, you may or may not have ever come up with on your own um and so in the edit room i i often sort of th- 
think about it in the when we're dealing like with structure back into the same way like you would outline as a script so actually in miss juneteenth one of the things that we did was um we as we were cutting the film down and realizing what the film was telling us that it was about um we actually wrote all of the the script beats the story beats out on a piece of paper and uh on the floor rearranged the entire film and it's exactly like what you know beat sheet and what writers are dealing with um but it was with what was already existing um and so i I had you know our our newly outlined uh film on the floor and was changing my timeline to match that and rearranging things and so um i think again it's all so closely connected but those different phases that are just um you know through collaboration and what you're capturing and and trying to sort of you know respect the magic of filmmaking um and what you capture uh i think i think those those three different stages hopefully the film overall is just getting better each each stage so Mm-hmm. Uh, I've worked with uh, director writers myself as an editor, and I know that sometimes it can cause a little bit of preciousness. Yes. Um, what do you, uh, did that happen, and what do you do to try to combat that as a collaborator without yeah. overstepping? Um, you know, it's hard because I totally get it. Um, and there are certain things that uh, you if you are the sole vision of a project that you want to make sure is never lost um you know one of the things that we did with miss juneteenth our assembly was two and a half hours long um and so obviously we had to cut some things out um and so it was a lot of conversation of what we felt after watching the assembly um what we felt like were the stronger aspects um that were sort of coming to the surface um, and so with Channing, one of, one of the ways that we worked together was, um, I would sort of go through and present ideas. Um, and so obviously I, we had had such extensive conversations. I knew the types of things that were important to her, um, that we, you know, as we were cutting things, there were those scenes where I was like, well, no, we're never cutting that scene. <laughs> like, I I feel you there. However, we are going to cut the scene. And here's why. And so I think, um, I think having a reason behind everything um, is important. Um, but ultimately, your job as the editor is to get the director's vision across. Um, and so, there were, of course, things that we we disagreed on as far as what needed to stay in and go and whatnot. Um, and so, I think as long as as long as you hear each other and can have a conversation about it, um, then hopefully, what comes from that is a better film, a better experience uh, for the audience. Um, but yeah, it's 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 a lot of trial and error. And in fact, there were scenes that. Um, near the beginning of the process, I fought hard to get rid of that are now in the film that I'm so thankful that they are because uh, that was the better the better decision um, for the film. Mm-hmm. It's a brave thing to say. That's happened to me. I'm sure oh, yeah. it's happened to many. Well, I know it's happened to many people. You're yeah. like, 
oh, I was sure this had to go, and yeah, it, no, it doesn't. It doesn't. Yeah, that's really interesting. Um, has this director worked with an editor before, or were you the first time that she'd worked um, with her? We had worked together on a short film before. Um, she and um, Neil Williams, who is her producer and um, actually her husband also, they had done another short film. Um, and I think she edited part of I'm not sure what, I don't, I don't know what the, that was. Um, but I actually um, came on and edited. She had a short film through Refinery29's Shatterbox Initiative. Um, and so we worked together uh, about a year ago. Um, on that film and then jumped into Miss Juneteenth. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was just wondering whether there was some kind of social help that you have to provide to, to kind of say, hey, look, this is how you work with an editor or, I mean, not to, not to say that vocally, but right. to try to help. Um, you know, the way that I look at the edit room is that um, if production is the trauma, the edit room is the therapy. <laughs> um so you I love that. Yes. That, I'm, I'm stealing that. That's please do. Just stolen. Um, I <laughs> to me the edit room can be a very difficult place to be. Again, this is coming from being in my own edit room. Oh yeah. Because um, you're seeing the the errors, you're seeing the things that didn't yes, go the way that you wanted them to go. Yes, you are basically having to look at every way that you failed every day constantly. It's a very difficult place to be in. Um, and so, because a lot of times, you know, you're trying to um, to work around things that happened on set or or there's, there's things that happened that were outside of your control that now you have this specific set of footage for. Um, and so a lot of the edit is trying to sort of reconcile and work through that and also to get rid of the baggage that comes with what happened on set that day. Um, and so it's a delicate place to be in. Um, and it's a hard place to be in. And so as the editor, I do, um, I, I sort of, my relationship with directors is how I would want someone to treat me, if you will. Um, and so it's, it's very much a, um, you know, a place to listen and a place to sort of help guide um, and, and walk through sort of the process. But, uh, but yes, I do feel like um, there is an aspect of, of editors where you are, you are there to help um, just process what happened in production. So, To get to the nuts and bolts, um, this is an indie. Did you have a proper assistant or were you wearing multiple hats? Uh, this is the first time that I've had an actual assistant editor, um, Laura Tolotson. Um, she, uh, our post house was Lucky Post in Dallas. Um, and so she came on as my assistant editor and I was so excited. <laughs> uh, so I've never had one before. What kind of training did you have to do for the two of you to work together? And- um, yeah, it, there wasn't a whole lot, you know, um, unfortunately for her, uh, because I've never had an assistant editor, I didn't know how to utilize her um probably to the amount that she could have been um so the the main thing that she helped me do is to organize everything um and so it was basically just walking through kind of how I like to set things up um and then um she would would organize those and then send me updates to the project files um and then in the actual edit uh she was not around as much she had access to the cuts and would would watch them and whatnot but um Really, and then when it came time to deliver and conform everything, um, she was a huge help with that. 
Um, so, so yeah, it was, there's a little bit of a, of course, like, this is how I like to do things, but also like, again, surrounding yourself with people that are good at their jobs and know what to do. There's not a whole lot of handholding per se. So, uh, continuing with kind of nuts and bolts conversation, how do you like to have things organized? Um, I, I organize everything by scene. Um, and then I like to, so I have, you know, a bin that is every scene and in order. Um, I put an asterisk next to each scene that I have not edited yet. And so I can very easily kind of open that folder and see where I'm at. Um, and usually I am editing on set. Um, I did not edit on set for Miss Juneteenth, but, um, so because I'm editing as footage is being created, um, things are coming into my project way out of order. Um, it's not that everything's there and then I can, I start. Um, and so I like to sort of just, that kind of helps me keep tabs to where we are kind of as we're filling everything in. Um, and then I, um, yeah, I'll just, I'll start from there and assemble each scene. Um, each scene has its own folder. And so if I do any, um, you know, any sub sequences or, um, you know, any specific scene work, I'll do that in its own timeline. But then I, I like to, I like to have everything on the timeline at once because that way you can sort of see how things are transitioning. And, um, I know a lot of editors like to keep scenes and sequences separate, um, until further down the line, but I very much like to see that timeline. Um, cause again, thinking in big picture and, uh, sort of the writing side of things, I like to know where we are <laughs> spatially. <laughs> so. Sure, but as you're editing, of course, that's out of order. Or Very, yeah. yeah. So you're are you, you're building a timeline with holes, or yes, you're... yeah. So um, that's one of my favorite things as we're ending production is like deleting those holes, mm-hmm. um, and it's just like as as huge chunks of sequences start coming together. Um, it's very gratifying to fill in those, those puzzle pieces. Yeah. There's plenty of editors that do it that way. It's not, it's not, you know, not everybody does it. Oh, I'm going to wait. Yeah. It's, um, I think, you know, this year I've gotten to work with some other editors as well, where I I only did the onset edit and then handed it off to another editor. Um, and so that has been cool to see kind of how each person works and, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's fascinating how, how each person kind of attacks their own, their own way of doing things. I'm really excited to have Ncrawl as a sponsor. If you've ever been through the end credits process and final post, you already know that someone had to create this product. What's interesting, though, is how they went about it. Their cloud render engine turns around preview renders in minutes and 2K and 4K renders in about half an hour. The Ncrawl Ender Engine is on-demand 24-7, so even if you're in a late-night session, you can sign into your project, fix that typo, or add that late-breaking special thanks. And with one click, get your new render fast. And here's the best part. Renders are unlimited. Ncrawl has a freemium tier, and they offer free personal demo projects for all working industry professionals. There's actually a wait list, but if you sign up now with our special link, you can jump the line. That's ncrawl.com AOTC. Again, that's ncrawl.com slash AOTC. Are you doing selects reels or how are you looking at dailies and, and starting up a scene? So I like to get things on the timeline quickly. Um, and so what I'll usually do is start with um, the script supervisor's notes um, for what are the quote unquote circle takes. So I'll usually start there and get something on the timeline. Um, and... 
that's mainly because I like to, I like to get a starting point. Um, cause then that informs me for what I need to look for or what's not working or whatnot. Um, and so after that, I will then go back in and watch everything, make sure that what the director thought was the best take was the best take, um, kind of go back in and, um, look at alternates and how we could attack things. But, um, that's, that's usually where I like to start. Um, we had a sequence in Miss Juneteenth where, um, we actually piggybacked off of a real parade and put like our own floats in for the film and whatnot and our actors. Um, and so that was shot very docu style. So I actually did a string out, um, with both cameras. Um, and that was literally just, you know, going through marking and, uh, and, you know, pulling, pulling those moments and shots. Um, obviously that's very different than how I would normally, um, pull a typical scene together, but, um, but yeah, it's usually some sort of combination of those two. Got it. Um, I understand that you had a chance to go to Austin and get some great advice yes. um, with your rough cut. Tell me a little bit, if you can, about the specifics of what were some of the things that were said to you and what, you know, not all advice is taken. What yeah. what did you change and, and what was said? Yeah. Um, so we went through um, a rough cut screening with the Austin Film Society. And so Richard Linklater was there uh, with his editor, Sandra Adair. And um, it was the first time that we had shown the film um, to an audience of sorts. Um, and obviously these are other filmmakers and people that speak the language. Um, and so it was good to feel what people were connecting to. Um we got some very specific notes on a couple of sequences that we had questions about. Um, and so it's always nice to get confirmation like, okay, yes, that is something that we still need to deal with. Um, but one of the main things that we did is, um, we shot some pickup shots. And so we went through this rough cut screening right before we, we, uh, attacked those shots. And so it was, a little bit of a brainstorm to make sure we had, you know, title cards in this happens now, which is always hard to watch, but, um, being able to sort of dream with a bunch of filmmakers and say, you know, this was our idea to bridge this. And this is what we were trying to say. Do you think that that is, you know, what would work, um, and getting feedback. And so we did tweak a few things based off of that. Um, so then when we came into our pickups, we were able to be very surgical, um, know exactly what we needed, uh, kind of pick those off. And again, talk about satisfying. To replace those title cards is so nice. <laughs> to no longer have to read, uh, yeah, text that says this happens next is great. You sound like the kind of person that has to have a to-do list and you love just drawing that line. I do. <laughs> I hate lists, but I, I really like crossing them off. So, yes. You can't do one without the other. No, not at all. Um, what kind of decisions were being made between the rough assembly and the final? I, I'm still looking for some real examples of we had this, like the scene that you said that you wanted cut out and mm -hmm. that, that stayed. What were some of the actual discussions? I love the scene. I have to have it. And you saying, no, you really don't. And then coming to an agreement, what were some of those scenes and why were decisions being made about what happened to get from 230 down to yeah. 140 or whatever it was? Um, so we, 
again, I mentioned that Channing had a, a very tight script. Um, so there were a lot of relationships um, that were sort of weaving together. Um, and so what we realized was that the main relationship that was really uh, kind of shine the the shiniest relationship the the best one that we were really connecting with uh was the mother mother daughter relationship and nicole and alexis who played turquoise and kai the the mom and daughter their chemistry is just so great and so part of uh our first like chainsaw cut where we were getting rid of everything was looking at basically every scene that was just about the two of them um and then we started putting in um scenes between turquoise and um her ex-husband and then turquoise and another possible suitor and and we were sort of trying to balance what did those other storylines have to say to this initial like more important relationship and so if there was a scene that had those other characters but it wasn't tying back to the mother-daughter relationship we got rid of it um and so there was one scene between um turquoise and um her ex that I was like, no, this isn't necessary. We, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't tie back into the relationship. Um, and so I cut it. And, um, as we were talking about it, uh, you know, it's like, well, wait, no, it, it does have to do with the relationship and it is making a commentary on this and it is changing her opinion on this. And it's very subtle, but it does, it does inform that. Um, and so, uh, you know, everything we kept questioning ourselves of like, what does this come back to Kai and Turquoise? Does this have anything to do with that? Um, and so in dealing with that, and then of course, like keeping the plot intact as well. Um, obviously character and, and emotion are first, but we still have to tell a story. And so, uh, they're in that first cut where it was just like, okay, only, only these two characters, obviously we have to put some plot stuff back in. And so, uh, we then speckled that type of stuff back in, but, um, but yeah, it was, it was a lot of conversations and a lot of, well, if we change that, the ripple effect is catastrophic. And so, how can we can we with a pickup shot change this or or bridge that gap in a quicker way than with you know these three scenes or whatever so there's a lot of conversation about that and trying to keep it all straight and um yeah it got it got hairy there we were like you know you have to take a step back and be like okay wait (laughs) did we go too far um so you mentioned a chainsaw cut so um did you actually, and I've heard other people talk about this, where you cut, and I've done it, you you cut to the bone Absolutely. to show you what is what is necessary. Like, Absolutely. Oh, yeah, you did do that? Oh, yeah. That's That's got to be, and it's painful, right? It's so painful. <clears throat> and um, I remember I... Uh, I sent um, I sent a text message with a GIF um, that was from the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, <laughs> and I was just like, "Okay, it's done. Uh, prepare yourselves." Um, and so it's painful, but it is so informative um, because it it it's more about telling you what you miss um, and the surprises that come from it. Of whoa. We actually don't need that. Um, so, and also a, things that end up next to each other that never would have ended up next absolutely. to each other. Absolutely. Like, yeah. Wow, that actually now changes your perspective of the scene because it's butted up against each other. So, um, it's important, um, but they're re- they're really hard for yeah. sure. You mentioned laying stuff out on the floor mm-hmm. and trying to rearrange things, and you also were talking about these 
separate threads of suitors and exes and stuff. Did you find that um, where you placed those commented on the rest of the the mother-daughter story? Yeah, absolutely. Um, We, I mean, we restructured the entire thing. And so um, as we would kind of go through it, um, did one like thought process where we were tracking um, the pageant. So it's like, okay, so here's, here's all the aspects of the pageant and okay, here's all of the aspects of, um, every time that she talks with the ex and, and, um, and so like grouping those types of things together was, was important. Um, and there's a ton of computer programs that can do that and you can color code things and make it easier. But, um, I really like having a piece of paper and literally moving it to another aspect, like another area on the floor. And there's something about the tangible stuff that just makes it easier. And then you can go in and do it, you know, on the timeline. But, um, but yeah, it was, it was a bunch of messy, my handwritten notes and just, you know, <laughs> and the cutting decision, them up. <laughs> the decision to do that on the floor instead of a wall is just, I mean, it made sense. <laughs> it, was, it was a carpet. It was the rug. It was soft. It was good. Uh, all right. Um, tell me a little bit about this, the uh, structural changes we talked about. Some big sounds like some big structural changes, yeah. which is really it was cool. Yeah, and rough for I would think rough for a writer director to make those structural changes, but also she's a writer, so yeah, you're a writer, right? yeah. I think um, I think she was able to pretty easily um, like come on board with with you know, again, it's like, it's, if there's a reason behind it. And so, Hey, if we smash these two scenes together, look what this does. Um, or Hey, I had an idea. What if we did this? Um, and so, yeah, I think, I think her writing background, she was able to, to see that pretty clearly. And was a lot of that discussion literally discussion or was it a lot of, Hey, let me give me three hours and I'll cut this stuff together and we can watch a little bit of both. Um, I tend to be able to show more than I can explain. Um, and so sometimes it was, let me get back to you. You guys go have lunch or something. And, um, and other times it was a, a discussion. What if we did this? And we had Google docs that were, we were tracking like which cut where we were and what we had cut out and what we had rearranged. And so we were kind of tracking it. So we would, we would go back every once in a while and be like, okay, are we missing something? Um, so it was very collaborative in that, in that aspect. Uh, have you worked in other NLEs and why was Premier a choice? Um, I have. I, um, I started in um, Final Cut and I always say that they broke my heart with Final Cut 10. Um, and uh, a friend of mine had said, well, you should really try Premiere. And so I was very grumpy about it and jumped in and immediately was able to get the job done and was thrilled because of that. Um, and so I switched over to Premiere and, um, you know, I've, I've, I've cut in Avid, I've cut in, you know, uh, now in Final Cut 10 as well. And there's something about the way my brain works that makes sense with Premiere and Premiere's um, support for f- their feature film editors and everything is is so great. Um, and so I often say it's a, it's not really a choice because it's just assumed. Um, and so I sometimes forget to talk to people and be like, oh, hey, yeah, are we cutting in Premiere? Because I'm just like, well, we're cutting in Premiere. Um, so 
yeah, it's it, it's one of those things where it's important to know your tool and to be able to navigate it and not have the tool get in the way. And that's the way that I feel about Premiere. And do you use any other uh, Adobe stuff in the universe? Um, yes. Yeah, I used um, I used a few things. Our, um, our post house, however, took the final um, and conformed everything and took it through Resolve and, and Flame and stuff like that. Um, but in the, um, in the actual edit, I was, uh, creating some comps and, you know, splitting screens and, um, using the Lumetri color correction stuff, um, mainly to remove anything that, uh, as you're watching that, Bumped. that, yeah, anything that just like takes you out. Um, and so I did use those, um, pretty extensively. Thank you so much for talking to me. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to Art of the Cuts Voices from Sundance podcast. Also check out Pro Video Coalition for more than 200 interviews with the world's top editors or read the book Art of the Cut Conversations with Film and TV Editors for a topic-driven curated experience. And be sure to check out my podcast and interviews with some of the world's top editors on my regular Art of the Cut podcast. Thanks again to my guest, Courtney Ware. I'm Steve Hulfish. If this is a podcast that you got something out of, follow me on Twitter and Instagram at at Steve Also subscribe to this podcast and make sure to tell a film-making or film-loving friend. <laughs>